Good morning. My name is Chris and it's my pleasure to bring the sermon reading today. Continuing the letter, the second letter of Peter, chapter 1, reading from verse 5 to 11. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Well, it's great to be here. My name's Pete Stacey, if I haven't met you. Earlier this week I visited the Botanical Gardens in Sydney, haven't been there for years, and uh, I love seeing those magnificent trees, you know, some 180, 200 years old, just fantastic, from various parts of the world, flourishing in that cultivated, sun-drenched environment. But from the whole day that I was up in Sydney, the tree that I appreciated most was this one. It's not a great photograph. <laughs> But it was growing in a sandstone wall in the rocks under the shadow of the Harbour Bridge. And it reminded me of the theme of this passage, that where there is life, there is growth. Now, even in the hardest circumstances, there is still growth. And I reckon if you cut that, which I wouldn't, but you'd still see the little growth rings in there. Uh, and that's true of our lives as followers of Jesus. Yeah, if God has saved us, forgiven our sins, given us life in Jesus' name, then there will be, there must be, growth. And that's what this passage is all about. So let's ask God to help us understand it and willingly and joyful, joyfully obey uh, what he shows us for his glory and our good. Let, let's pray together. Father in heaven, please continue your wonderful work in our hearts and uh, our minds as we seek to understand your word now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's passage begins with the words, for this reason. In other words, this practical to-do list that was just read for us uh, flows straight out of the astonishing truths that we looked at last week. For example, verse 3 says that God has given us everything we need for a godly life. Today... We are encouraged to be faithful with everything that he's given us so that we can actually live that godly life and enjoy it. Uh, verse 4 said that God has given us these great and precious promises so that we may participate in the divine nature. I just find that absolutely gobsmacking. It's an astounding statement. Uh, so I guess the question for us is have we taken hold of those promises? Are we seeking to really build our life on those promises as we seek to follow Jesus? Salvation is what happens the moment God saves us and we put our trust in Jesus. From that moment on, we are clean in God's sight. And the process of sanctification begins. Sanctification is that process that continues 
for the rest of our lives as we learn to live clean lives with the help of God's Spirit in our hearts. And that's the focus of this passage. Uh, it's a spiritual partnership where, uh, with God's help, uh, he, he helps us all the way. Philippians 1 verse 6 brings this out. There's a wonderful promise that says, He who began a good work in you, that's our salvation, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And that's sanctification. We make every effort, as verse 5 says, as God does a wonderful, transforming work in our hearts. That's why sayings like, you might have heard this one, just let go and let go. Now, it's actually quite unhelpful, because it's kind of as though we just sit back and let God do all the work. Um, spiritual growth is not passive on our part. It happens when we keep in step with God's Spirit. As Peter says in verse 5, For this very reason, in other words, because of all that God has already done for us in Christ, we are to make every effort to add to our faith. It's a partnership. It's a partnership with God. God held nothing back in saving us, so we should hold nothing back in serving Him. The athletes we saw in the Olympics and Paralympics a few months ago, they're great examples of people who have made every effort, every desire, you know, the desire to achieve, uh, maybe even win gold, meant that every part of their life was structured around working towards their goal. Their exercise routines, their strength, their speed, their agility, their flexibility, their diet, their sleep, their lifestyle, enormous sacrifices, all determined by that goal, driven, squeezing every bit of potential out of life. So Peter says to us, well, in response to all that God has done for us in Christ, let's make our goal to make every effort to add to our faith for the glory of God. And thankfully, he tells us exactly what we should add to our faith. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. And this is one of several kind of virtue lists in the New Testament, similar to 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about love. Uh, or Galatians 5, you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And like those other passages, it's not, not meant to be read like a menu that you know, we choose from. Uh, let's have a look at this list. Yeah. I'll have lots of love, I'll have some mutual affection, a bit of goodness, but perseverance, no way. I, I want my life to be happy and easy, thank you, God. <laughs> Friends, life in God's world is not like that. Think of it not as a menu, but as a recipe of essential ingredients. It's a package deal. And as we look at this list, while there is sort of a logical flow to what's mentioned, the word add is not indicating a sequence of stages that we have to move through, like kind of like, well, better not start on self-control because I haven't kind of mastered knowledge yet. It just doesn't work like that at all. Instead, it's showing us the vital importance of all of these qualities. Add, 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 add. Don't leave anything 
out in this one glorious package. God's desire is that the moment our faith begins, he wants us to grow in all these qualities so that like a multifaceted diamond, we more clearly reflect the brilliant character of Christ. So let's look at each quality more closely. He starts off by saying, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Now if you look back at, at verse 3, if you have got a Bible open, and can I encourage you, bring your Bibles. I love my paper Bible now after lockdown. I, flipping through my phone just doesn't work for me. So if you have got a, a Bible in front of you, verse 3, uh, we see that goodness is actually a quality or an attribute of God himself. And so in all of these attributes here in verses 5 to 7, what God's doing is he wants us to grow to be more like him. Uh, that's how we participate in his divine nature, as it says earlier. Goodness means moral excellence, and it does not come automatically. The word was used to describe something that perfectly fulfilled its purpose, like a sharp chisel in the carpenter's workshop, or a valiant soldier who has completed his mission. So too the Christian has a purpose. We're to glorify God and commend the gospel by a life of moral excellence, a life of goodness. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, not do witnessing. <laughs> Living a life of goodness, of moral excellence, is a big part of our witness to the world. It's the result of a thousand daily decisions to honour Jesus. And we can't do it without him. It's a partnership where he moves mightily in us as we seek to obey him. And now to goodness, add knowledge. <coughs> knowledge here is not mere information. It's far more practical than that. It means that wisdom to apply that information to our daily lives. Perhaps the word transformation is better. Now, of course, the information we're referring to is God's word. Knowledge is what guides the arrow of our faith. Our salvation does not begin by faith alone. That sounds heretical, doesn't it? <laughs> let, me, let me say the next bit. <laughs> Many people have faith. But faith needs the right target. True salvation comes by faith in Christ alone. And it is our growing knowledge of Christ then that enables us to grow to maturity in him. And this knowledge does not come automatically to us. We need to read his word, listen to good Bible teaching, seek answers when we don't understand things, follow the good example of other believers around us, be mutually encouraged here at church, and so on. It's a partnership where God moves mightily in us as we seek to, to know his word and put it into practice with the strength of his spirit and the support of his people. To knowledge add Self-control. Proverbs 16 verse 32 says, Better a person with self-control than one who takes a city. In other words, it's more impressive to conquer yourself than to conquer a city. 
Uh, Self-control is the capacity to consistently align our behaviour with what we know is right. Especially when temptation just drifts past us. (laughs) And it certainly doesn't come automatically to us, does it? Proverbs 25 verse 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. If we lack self-control, our lives, like an unprotected city, are vulnerable to attack. We are lured off course by a thousand distractions and temptations in the world around us. We are led off course by others. We are swung off course by our own emotions and and desires inside us. In fact, our lack of self-control is a humbling window into our hearts. Self-control, it's a fruit of God's Spirit, and we certainly need His help. But the very word itself emphasises the proactive choice we must make to do what is right, regardless of how we feel or what others might say. Self-control. Now, to self-control, add perseverance. If self-control is especially important in handling the pleasures of life that might tempt us away from God, then perseverance enables us to handle the pressures and the problems of life. It's not enough to just have self-control for a a few hours a day or, or a few days a week. What we need is to stick at it, to persevere, to never give up doing what is right. And this does not come... Automatically, I'm going to keep saying that one. Uh, we've got to work at it. James chapter 1, verse uh, 2 to 4, really tells us how this process happens. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That, that's just life, isn't it? Trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance, uh, let, let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's a good goal, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah, we don't need to look for opportunities to grow in perseverance. Life in a fractured world will give us plenty. So to perseverance, now we add godliness. Now in Peter's letters, he uses the word godliness always in contrast to the godlessness of the world we're living in. For example, the godly life that God calls us to back in verse 3 is set against the corruption in the world caused by evil desires of verse 4. There's this stark contrast. Now, we're not, this is not about being different just for the sake of being different. But if we genuinely seek to live for Jesus, we will be outstandingly different as we live among people who live for anything or anyone else but Jesus. Completely different motivation. It's like what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know, the, the world is not standing still. It is going in a direction. And God, through Paul, they say, go the other way. Look to, learn from, seek, follow Jesus. At the heart of godliness is a humble prayer 
God make me more like you. Matched by the determination to then do what he says. To godliness, add mutual affection. My older Bible says brotherly love. And this is the unique fellowship that exists among brothers and sisters in God's family. Years ago, I, I did a lot of traveling evangelistic uh, ministry, and I'd rock up to a church and people I'd never met before, and I'd always be billeted by someone in the church. And uh, for, for years, I did this. Um, and I was always amazed the fact that, I mean, these people just let me into their homes, and they would just have this incredible sense of unity and, and fellowship with a complete stranger because our lives were built on the same foundation of being saved by Jesus and living for Jesus. It's a profound unity. And here, uh, through Peter, God's saying, we need to build that kind of mutual affection. It's an obvious sign to each other and to a watching world that we belong to Jesus. They will know we are Christians by our love. Back in his first letter, Peter said this, love one another deeply from the heart. Friends, we really have to work at this. It does not come automatically. <laughs> 1 John 4.20 says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Strong words, aren't they? For whomever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Mutual affection, yeah, it does not come automatically, but it requires us to be thoughtful, caring, kind, compassionate, committed to the spiritual health, help of one another, even if that means correcting or rebuking at times. We must learn to love one another enough to ask hard questions, to listen well, to talk about the sermon after church, to seek God's wisdom together, to provide practical support where needed, and to pray fervently. In fact, one of the practical ways we do this as a church is uh, every single service during the prayers, you'll notice we, we pray for some of the people in our church family. We're just cycling through the list of, of all of the church members. It's a vital expression uh, of our mutual affection for one another. Lastly, to mutual affection, add love. Now, if mutual affection is the love we show to one another because of what we have in common in Christ, then love here at the end uh, completes this, that completes this list, is the love that we show to all people despite our differences. It's a love that is offered regardless of the worthiness or, or friendliness or the, you know, just the niceness of the person in our own eyes. Um, it's a love that, is, that seeks the best for others. It's a love that doesn't go cold even when offended. It, it's really the type of love that God has shown for us. While we were still sinners, we weren't interested in God, we weren't loving God. That's when Christ died for us. It's that unconditional agape, if you've heard of that, love. God commands us, love your neighbour as yourself. This is the fundamental expression of respect we show to other human beings because we are all made in the image of God. 
Can I just ask you on this one? What's your relationship like with your literal next door neighbour? Can I encourage you to pray for them? Are they close enough to see your light? Do they know you're a Christian? I hope they do. Um, most people trust a Christian before they trust Christ. And as they see our lives, they will be forming an opinion about our God by the difference he makes in, in our lives. It's a great opportunity God's given us right next door. Now, that's, that's the list. It's quite a list, isn't it? Um, at the start, Peter said, make every effort to add to your faith, and then we've got all these things. And then immediately following it, he says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, add, 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 increase, there's no stagnating in the Christian life, is there? Whether it's true life, there will always be growth. Which means that if there is no growth, we must question whether there is life. Paul says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't take God for granted and what he's done for us in Christ. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now I'm back after a little time away. Before I went away, I mowed the lawn 10 days ago. Um, then I was away. And isn't it amazing what good rain and uh, early summer sunshine does to the lawn? Um, does your spiritual life look like a thriving lawn? I should have got a picture. You know, it's a halfway up machines. Um, uh, or is it parched and, and patchy and full of weeds? You know, a bit of an honest look inside. Friends, God has given us everything we need for godly living. We saw that last week. And here today, he shows us exactly what we need to add to our faith to make sure that we flourish. You know, the older we get, the more important it is to have regular health checks. You know, I've just turned 50. I've had, you know, I won't describe it. Um, but but what, about, what about a spiritual health check? Peter now gives us, in the last few verses, Peter gives us three indicators of life and growth so we can check our spiritual pulse. The first one is fruitfulness. And if you've, anyone's doing that kid's sheet, there's the three words at the bottom. First one is fruitfulness. Verse 8 says, uh, If you possess these qualities in, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Christian character is an end in itself. A godly life honours God. But Christian character is also a means to an end. See, the more we grow to be like Jesus, the more the Holy Spirit can use us to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, to point other people to the kingdom of God, and to serve one another. In the body of Christ. Fruitfulness. The second indicator of life is clear vision. Clear vision. But it's interesting. Peter expresses it in the negative so that his readers will become like repelled by it and they'll want what he's talking about. Verse 9. Whoever does not have them, you know, this list of characters, 
that God builds in us. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Who wants to be nearsighted and blind? Oh, no hands. Well, it wasn't an option. Um, to not make every effort to grow in our faith is like forgetting that we even belong to Jesus. Makes no sense. It's really strong language that he uses because he wants to jolt us into action to see how ridiculous it is to not want to grow. Now let me try and turn that verse around. Whoever does have these qualities in increasing measure has clear vision. They can see how they have been cleansed by Christ from all of their past sins. They can see that they are a child of the living God. They can see that they are forgiven. They see how God wants them to live and what God wants them to do. That's a better approach to life, isn't it? And they can see, and this is the third indicator, they can see that they have eternal security in heaven. Verse 11 says, If you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What a glorious future awaits us in Christ. Friends, life means growth. God has given us spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And he's shown us exactly what we need to do to grow in that life in him. What's more, he's given us three indicators here at the end to gauge our growth. Are we producing fruit? Do we have a clear vision of what he's done for us and what he wants us to do for him? And thirdly, are we certain of our eternal security? May God help us make every effort to grow in our faith in this coming week and every week. Amen. Amen.